Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From across Louisiana, we're out to lunch with Peter Rusciutti, Stephanie Regal, and Christian Maida. Peter Rusciutti is Tulane University's Freeman School of Business Professor of Finance. Stephanie Regal is editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report. Christian Maida is publisher and editor of The Current. It's business Louisiana style. Hi, and welcome to Out to Lunch Louisiana. I'm Peter Rusciutti in New Orleans. I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. And I'm Christian Mader in Lafayette. As Louisiana reopens and we continue to navigate the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic, Stephanie, Peter, and I are taking a weekly statewide look at what's happening in the world of business and finance. Today, we're going to be joined by Stephen Wagaspak. He's the president and CEO of the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, and Tim Melanson, a fourth-generation pig farmer in Sunset, Louisiana. But let's start in New Orleans. Peter, you're a member of New Orleans City Government Advisory Panel that was set up by Mayor LaToya Cantrell, and it's called the Economics Data Working Group. Now, as more businesses are starting to open in New Orleans, what kind of economic data is coming into the discussion? Well, I think the most important piece that I saw this week was an announcement from the Convention Center that uh, between the beginning of the uh, virus and out to the end of the uh, calendar year, there will be 51 cancellations of meetings. And uh, this will equate to 460,000 visitors that won't be coming to New Orleans. And that was really what stood out. So, so Peter, I mean, I got to imagine that that's something that could have an immediate or perhaps an intermediate, let's say, impact on the city's finances. I mean, they certainly they rely on that kind of uh, commerce to generate the, the money they need for you know paying for public services. Do you have any idea what that's going to look like? Well, the big thing that came out out of that press release was that a couple of the members had said that whatever the city is estimating for revenue is still too high. And uh, I think that was, was kind of the case. So I, I think uh, other revisions coming through, uh, one of the things is to separate the kind of visitors we have, tourists and convention folks. Tourists are going to just kind of little by little begin to come back into the city. But these conventions seem to be closing out for 12 or 18 months. So uh, these these have long lead times, and that's very discouraging. Stephanie, you're up in Baton Rouge. What should we expect from the special session? Well, you know, it's just been the most extraordinary few weeks at the state capitol. I mean, they, they reconvened their regular session. They were only going to take up emergency legislation to pass the budget. Four weeks later, they took up a lot of stuff. They didn't pass the budget. They adjourned on Monday afternoon, and then they reconvened in a special session Monday night that historically was called by the legislative leadership itself. Typically, you know, the governor calls a special session. So, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of the fiscal bills that were not um, resolved during the regular session, during this special session, and a lot of other issues that are sort of on the agenda of this Republican legislative leadership. You know, I mean, technically on paper, they have a veto-proof 
majority, that doesn't mean that really they would want to expend their capital challenging the governor necessarily, but they do have a tremendous amount of power. And uh, it has been interesting to see that played out, particularly as the um, capacity limits at the state capitol, you know, have been reduced to just 25%. And there have been some real issues and questions about access and transparency, um, as a lot of groups and, and nonprofits and, and other, you know, organizations aren't able to get there and get their message heard. And I think you're going to see more of those tension points, you know, throughout the um, special session, particularly now that we have other issues of racial unrest in the country. And you know, I think that that's going to maybe factor into and color some of the discussion, all at a time when we're trying to navigate this reopening. Just yesterday, the governor announced we had moved to phase two, or we will be moving to phase two at the end of this week. So just, uh, you know, a lot of different things going on. And sort of that's what's on the mind of everybody as they try to get back to business as, as usual. So Stephanie, I mean, they, they have to pass a budget? Do you have any idea of what that budget is actually going to look like? Well, I mean, you know, ironically, I think a lot of the budget is going to be the budget proposed by the administration that relies pretty heavily on federal funds to plug this billion dollar or so hole that we are now facing because of the economic crisis caused by the pandemic. And uh, it's a pretty sensible budget. It, it keeps us from, you know, just falling apart for the for the coming fiscal year, I think it, down the line, when we look to fiscal year 2022, we're going to see more problems. So, uh, you know, it's it's never a dull moment here in uh, Baton Rouge. And and Kristen, what's going on in, in Lafayette? I mean, was, we're talking about budgets in particular, the Lafayette city budget um, has, has is facing a huge shortfall as well. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and interesting, like a lot of folks would be looking over to what happens in Baton Rouge with that budget to determine whether cities like Lafayette would get any help. Of course, the, the, the unique situation that we're in over here is that Lafayette was running a pretty sizable deficit before the pandemic, you know, and so there are real questions about what's the smart use of, say, that those federal relief dollars that you've seen, and I think that's playing out between the legislature and, and the governor in terms of what they want to see that those federal dollars spent on, and even the mayor here in Lafayette has kind of weighed in on that, saying he'd like to see that money go to small businesses, believing that, you know, sort of in the long run, uh, the, the, the indirect uh, uh, the indirect stimulus to those businesses will, will, will help the city coffers. But yeah, I mean, we're looking at you know, $18 million in operating deficit just going in to the pandemic, and then they're expecting something like another 10 coming out of that. And those are, per, those are early projections, to be clear. Like, it could be a lot harder than that. And Christian, this is Peter. I just wanted to ask you about, this happens in New Orleans, where we have some trouble, and we look to the state to try to help us out. Um, I imagine Lafayette does the with the state of the state's budget, um, is this still a viable uh, plan? You know, oddly, you know, from what I've seen, it's really a question of whether the state decides to use, uh, you know, the money that came out of the federal government, the $1.8 billion, uh, to, to, to in part prop up municipal and local budgets. Um, you know, so it's, it's unique in that they're looking to the state, which doesn't have money, uh, who in turn is looking to the federal government and then deciding what's the best use of well, it's going to be interesting to follow this. I mean, just so many challenges ahead. We just don't know which one to focus on. But uh, we're going to tackle them one at a time. You're listening to Out to Lunch Louisiana with Peter Raschuti in New Orleans, Christian Mater in Lafayette, and I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. 
there was a time in what feels like the distant past, and it was really just a few months ago, when it was more or less optional for a business to be a member of a business organization like the Chamber of Commerce. But since the arrival of the pandemic and the economic disaster that's come with it, there's now so much uncertainty and so much red tape to navigate through, from federal loans to local ordinances, that most businesses are finding it essential to turn to business alliances for help. The Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, mostly known by its acronym LAB-E, is Louisiana's official state chapter for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the National Association of Manufacturers. It's the state's largest business organization and really a force to be reckoned with. The president and CEO of LAB-E is Stephen Wagaspak. Stephen, welcome to Out to Lunch. Hey, thanks, Stephanie, Christian, Peter. I'm a pleasure to visit all of you. Stephen, one of the principal roles of lobby is to lobby the legislature in Baton Rouge and Congress in Washington on behalf of local businesses. And, you know, at the state level, since we were talking about the legislature a minute ago, this has really been for y'all a, a unique opportunity to push some of the key issues long on the agenda of the business community. And already y'all are seeing some success. Yeah, unique is one word for it. It's obviously been, uh, you know, quite a quite an interesting 2020 so far. You know, when the pandemic hit, obviously the first thing we did is we reached out, <clears throat> excuse me, to our members and asked them, you know, what's it like for you? How can we help? What do you need? We relayed those ideas to Congress, to the legislature. That's where some of the ideas with the PPP loans and how to qualify for that came in. So we were kind of a conduit at that point. And we really did, you know, it's the first time we embraced things like Zoom and other ways to really kind of have a thorough understanding of what our members were asking for. And so once we got through the initial phase of how to just survive during the shutdown, then it turned into how do we help you recover? And what we really heard from members, whether it's small business, big business, service companies, you, whatever industry you picked, what we really heard were a lot of things we'd heard for decades in Louisiana. People weren't asking for unique programs or unique ideas. They were saying, listen, if you wanna help us, let's address some of these issues that have long made it challenging, especially for those main street small business industries. So, so you're right, when the legislature came a knocking a couple of weeks later and said, listen, we're going into session, we want you to tell us what you know your members are asking for right now. It was interesting, I had to tell them, I said, well, what they're asking for is kind of what they've been asking for for, for decades. And so we kind of got working with them and with these private sector task forces that were put together and tried to put some ideas and concepts in place. And, and you're seeing a lot of that move in the legislature right now. There's been a lot of thoughtful debate on it we are optimistic that you know several of those things will get through the process. The governor has embraced several of those ideas and, and we think it'll help stimulate the recovery and promote some long-term policy gains that has long been needed. Stephen, this is Peter. I, I've heard people say that you're currently uh, just a kind of a precarious position in that uh, your main focus has usually been to get government off the back of business and let, let them operate. And now you're in a situation where you need the help of government. And uh, you just have to wonder, I remember Howard Marks, one of the money, money managers said a couple of weeks ago that um, capitalism bankruptcy is like a, um, a Catholicism hell. You know, it's a, do you, it, is it difficult to be in the two situations? Do you have to pick a lane or you think you can get everyone to work together? No, I think the situations arise the plan. And, and if you think about it, you know, we were started in 1974 as an organization to de defend and promote the principles of free enterprise. And I feel like over the last 45 years, we've done that. But let's be honest, what, what has happened in the last three or four months to small business across Louisiana is not free enterprise. Government came in and said, shut your doors down. Government came in and said, don't let your customers in. 
government came in and said, keep your employees employed, even though there's no customers, we'll give you loans on the back end that can convert to a grant if you play by the rules. The government came in and put all the strength about it. So if it was an idea where a free enterprise was causing certain industries to survive or thrive or, or, or go to their demise, that's different. That's not what's happened right now. So I think what, what I heard from small businesses, especially all across Louisiana, when the government came in and said, shut down to stop the spread of the pandemic, what I heard from our members was, we're going to do whatever it takes to, to, to take care of our communities. And they stepped up and did it. Now, when those folks are starting to come back and they have these PPP loans, they have employees that the, it's hard to get them back. They have customers who are nervous to come back in. I do think it's fair for government to step in and say, okay, you did a service for us during the community. Now we're going to do a service to you to help you get back on your feet. You can't overplay that card. You can't get into the old welfare state. No one's asking for that or that's not good policy, but it is appropriate. When government shuts you down, government help, you know, extend a hand out and help you stand back up. So, Stephen, this is Christian. You know, one thing I'm curious about, right, I read the other day that, that I think it was just the PPP program alone has put about $8 billion in, in loan programs to small businesses in Louisiana. And yet, you know, one of the discussions that's happening in the legislature is whether to, to carve out even more money for small businesses. Yeah. I think people recognize that, look, the scale of this pandemic is enormous, but it does raise a question. I mean, it, do those small businesses need an extra $200 million considering the volume of cash that's come in from Washington? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to know how the PPP works. I'm not going to get too much in the minutiae, but I want folks to understand this. When a small business in Louisiana was shut down, they were told, you know, you can't make any profit. They're already in a small margin business. Most of those small business, if you're a restaurant, if you get 5%, you're, you're killing it. Most of them are in the two, 3%. So government came in and shut them down. And so when the PPP loan went to them, what that says is, look, we're going to give you money. And if you pay your employees, we'll convert it to a grant. And you can do that for 12 weeks, uh, excuse me, eight weeks. And so what happened was these small businesses got these loans, paid their employees. So for eight weeks, they're paying their employees, but they still have no customers. They still have no profit. All they're doing is paying that threshold. So when the eight weeks are done and the PPP goes away, what's left? You still have bills you haven't been able to pay. You still have customers that are not inside your store. And so the PPP was not a loan like you would get from the bank to go buy a house. The PPP was to pay employees, even though there was no customers walking in for those employees to work. So it really was just a way for the federal government to send some dollars directly to the workforce. And small business really was the conduit in between. Stephen, no question the, um, you know, the issues we talked about in the legislature are you know strategically good long term for business and a lot of them are great but i mean there, there's some real question about whether in the short term i mean this isn't going to put cash back in the pockets of the small restaurant owner or the small shop i mean how do you how do you reconcile that i mean was this really the session to take up say tort reform i mean there's 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 no evidence that that's going to directly put money back into small business pockets in the next few months while they're struggling to hang on well, I would respectfully disagree with that, Stephanie. I would say that if you talk to any farmer in this state, if you talk to any trucker, if you talk to any logger, if you talk to anyone who owns a box truck that brings the produce on one side of town to the grocery store on the other side of town, all of those folks are losing their insurance coverage because the commercial insurers are playing the market. They're seeing their rates uh, double and sometimes in one given year, which puts a tremendous burden on them. So if you can pass something like that, which doesn't cost any money for the state government. This is something that does not have a fiscal note. You could pass that policy, and we think almost in a quick order, rates will come down, competition will come back. 
those small businesses, those farmers, those truckers, they absolutely will see, we think, more options on the market, the potential to have lower rates. How many other times do you have a policy idea that doesn't cost the state money that can lead to lower costs at the local level? I think it's one of the most innovative things you can do in a time like this when state funds are at a, at a shortfall measure. Even one of the things I think is going to be so tough about your job is you're representing companies statewide in a lot of different industries. And sometimes an issue is different from one another. I think of uh, maybe the tariff. How do you balance that? Well, it's not easy, Peter. I will tell you that. Uh, I, I love what I love most about uh, Lobby is one of the things that makes the job difficult. You know, we're the broadest based business group in the state. We've got a little bit of everything. We've got big companies, small companies, every region, every geography. We've got 100 person board directors. They're all type A individuals. They all come from different perspectives. They're all competitors and allies and friends at the same time. So when we get in a room, it can get spicy at times. It can. But I always think that what, that's what makes us cool also. The fact that we come out of that room and say, listen, this is what are the broad-based issues that the broad-based business community is looking for. Sure, there's always going to be some internal disagreement, but it really, once it goes through that sieve, it's the best temperature gauge I can think of for where the business community is. You'll have more tailored and unique trade associations that are one specific sector. It's kind of easier to get into a room when everyone agrees and pats each other on the back and walks out. That's not what we do. So um, I'm on the phone a lot. Um, I'm on emails and Zooms a lot. I, um, I get uh, just as much criticisms as compliments and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I feel like the mission is important. It is trying to figure out what are some of the, the, the principles and policies that rise to the top through that type of discussion. And it's our job to go articulate the best we can in Baton Rouge and DC and, and try to get some of that done. And look, many of the stuff we push, this is not low hanging fruit. Many of the things we push, it's kind of big game hunting. It's the big, you know, you know, audacious goal stuff. Um, that makes the job fun and challenging at the same time. Stephen Waggispack is president and CEO of Lobby, the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today on Out to Lunch Louisiana. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. You're listening to Out to Lunch Louisiana with Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge, Peter Raschuti in New Orleans, and I'm Christian Mader in Lafayette. You may remember at the end of April, President Trump signed an executive order compelling meat processors to remain open to head off shortages in the nation's food supply chain. The unattended consequence of this presidential decree was to make all of us aware, many for the first time, of just where our meat comes from. And most of the pictures we saw weren't pretty. And this has got a lot of people asking if there isn't a better way to get meat onto our table. And the answer is yes, there is. Uh, Tim Malasaw is a fourth-generation Louisiana pig farmer. He farms pasture-raised Berkshire pork on Timoe's farms in Sunset. Tim, welcome to Out to Lunch. How y'all doing today? Tim, you specialize in raising an all-natural product. Your pigs are totally vegetarian. You don't believe in additives or preservatives. I, I would bet there are a lot of people who are listening to this right now who would far prefer to eat that kind of product. In other words, I'm sure there's demand, a massive demand for what you're doing, um, but it's that size of demand that brought about the kind of industrial scale farming and meatpacking plants that we have today. Um, so what I'm curious is, is it possible to, to sort of take your product and scale it to the size that you could reach uh, uh, the number of people that are currently consuming sort of conventional, uh, conventionally farmed and, and, and produced processed meat? Well, personally, I, I really don't think so. You, you, you need a lot of people like me, for one thing, you know, that would get, that's willing to make the sacrifice and make it happen. Uh, uh, it's, it's it's a lot more time consuming, a little more expensive, and I don't think they want to pay that kind of money, you know to uh, that there's a certain uh, 
certain type of people that that's gonna buy this kind of stuff. Not everybody's, you know, they they think it's high, it's expensive. Well, you know, if I, my my business have you price canceled lately? You know, it's expensive now, or you can either pay now or later. But the answer to your question is, like I said, I think it would take a lot of people that's got the same passion and desire to do what I do to make this happen. Because these big farmers, these big people, they they're not gonna do it. So you talked a little bit about about your, you know, that this it takes a different kind of customer too. I mean, who are your customers? Well, we, we kind of <laughs> that's what that's what's been taking us about three years to work out clientele. Uh, we've been going to the farmers market in Lafayette and uh, about three years, three and a half years or so, and certain people like this kind of stuff. You know, not everybody's like I said, that's gonna they like the quality, they, they, you know, and, and it's, they like the idea of it. But when it comes to taking out your pocket and pay, well, they they want to. Complain about the price. Well, you know, if they would come out, they're welcome to come out and check my place out and check our place out and see what it takes to get that type of quality. Well, it's a whole different ball game. You know, it's not uh, it's not just uh, mechanically. You know, feeders. You got to get out there and maintain fence. You got to. It's a lot of. It's a lot. It's not just like your your modernized forms that they have. You know, now you can just push a button and feed. You know, I don't know. 10,000 hogs and the feed is just going to go into the troughs here. we got to do everything manual, you know, it's not like that, you know, so. Jim, this difference. is Peter. I, I want to say you've got two great trends uh, putting the wind at your back a little bit. One is, you know, people want uh, pasture raised, no rates, additives, preservatives. That's a big trend. The is to me a little bit more interesting. Uh, my wife's from Opelousas, so she's kind of pointed this out to me, is that there's now this, kind of like Boudin tourism, where people come in just to get our stuff. Have you seen that? Yeah, 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 yes we have. Um, <laughs> yeah, people just come from all over and just wanna, you know, they got, they got this thing about the Boudin. And, uh, it's, it's been around since I've been behind the toad frog, you know, but you know, they act like it's just brand new. And it's, it just surprised me that people just, just really, which I'm glad, you know, they, they really like it and they, they come Oh, we just tried the Tim, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the big commercial farms, 10,000 hogs. Give us a sense of the size of, of your farm. How many hogs do you have? How many do you process, you know, per, I don't know, whatever cycle? And how much meat do you produce from that? Right now, we, we're just on the, on the, uh, the ground level of where we want to be. Uh, and we, I don't want, you know, 400 hogs. That's not what we want. We want quality. Uh, we're a small operation. We, we probably have about 40 hogs right now on, on the farm, which we, uh, you know, have different little issues going on. Uh, so I'm not going to get into on the radio, but uh, he's not, he's shit. I'm going to just tell you, he's shooting blanks and that, that kind of caused the problem. So now, you know, we got, we have to take a road trip, <laughs> you know, get us some, some uh, different animals from different farms, you know, so, uh, and, and those things, we, we try to do things natural, you know, we don't try to do things, you know, uh, unnatural. And that's one of the natural things is, you know, we do it with the boar and uh, we found out over the winter time that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to. And uh, so that caused a problem, but we, we're gonna, we're getting that, we're crossing that. That's, you know, that's just one of the hurdles that we have to cross. So like, where will you go to, yeah. to find, say, your, you know, your, your other male hog? I mean, is there a network of farmers well, like the you? <laughs> Well, not many in Louisiana. There's not many. We had to go to Arkansas to get uh, some some Berkshire uh, pigs, little feeders, and uh, take a little road trip, which was nice. Really loved the scenery, you know. Uh, 
yeah, really nice. But as far as the a boar, that type, a good meat quality hog, and that's what we have is meat quality. Uh, there's different types, you know, you got the shows, the show pigs, the 4-H hogs. You know, we got the meat quality hog, which is, you know, just, all, it's all different. So we try to keep, we try to keep that quality. Tim, I'm really curious about, you know, your family's background with this. I mean, your fourth generation. I mean, so, so how has this changed? I mean, even if you're taking sort of great care and, and you're, you're doing this kind of in a more uh, hands-on kind of way than maybe modern farming has really gone. I mean, how has your version of this changed from, say, your father and your father's father? Well, that's, you see, that's the ticket. Uh, we, we don't, we don't the old way, you know, we don't it the way, you know, my dad did it, my grandpa, father did it and that, you know, that, that type of thing. So, and that's what's unique and that's what makes it good quality. You know, people are, you know, people, you know, and, and, and I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but, uh, you know, they used to call the, the pork, the other white meat, you know, and pork supposed to be white. And, you know, that the reason being is they feed these hogs such a, high rate of uh, protein and, you know, just make them grow so fast, the meat have, have a chance to marble and, and to grow properly. properly. That's, that's where you know, a lot of the problem comes in. So we, on the other hand, um, it takes longer. Again, expensive, you know, and we let them grow slow. They eat natural. Uh, our hogs eat 90% uh, grass. You know, they're, a, they're a grazing pig and they, they really thrive really good on this stuff. And then, you know, every one day y'all come by the, the market and Lafayette and check it out and see. Uh, meat is, it's like it's red. It looks, it actually looks like a T-bone steak. People, we have pictures of it, you know, our, our pork chop. And it looks like a T-bone steak. It's just real dark, rich, and in it. It's just something y'all need to try. It's really, it's really good. So something I, I got to ask, because I mean, the, the, the farmer's market here in Lafayette has been, you know, closed down for a little bit because, I mean, I think it's coming back online. I mean, how, how have you managed to kind of keep slinging your goods? I mean, it, have you found ways to continue selling your product or have you had to put it in the freezer? I mean, what's happening? Well, that's another hurdle. You know, we, we were forced to, to, to cross and we still we stumbling and getting up and keep crossing it. But uh, we have issues, you know, we, we're trying to get the people, you know, they, they come into the farm is what they're doing. I mean, they, you know, we, we're uh, family oriented. Uh, you can fishing pole and drink a drink a little beer bring it and we'll sit at the little fish house and talk about it and you can check out the farm and see all the animals and uh we have a few people that's that's been here and they're really surprised and they really enjoy it so in a way that's been one of our uh blessing tell you the truth you know uh, they, they come out and bring the kids and they just we got new cats we got baby uh, chickens we got oh uh, cows so it's kind of like a little uh a little, little tour, you know, and they like it. A little family adventure, and they like it. Uh, can I can I buy from you online? Ah, uh, I guess you could, but I mean, uh, no, we don't we don't ship we don't ship just yet. Uh, but you're more welcome. Where, where are you from, Appaloosa? Uh, uh, my family is, but I'm here in New Orleans. Well, my wife goes to New Orleans, you know, uh, check on her mom and her dad for the regular. So if you want something, uh, she's she's done it before. You know, meet at a meeting place and. We bring sausage and stuff like that to the to the folks in New Orleans. Uh, in fact, you know, we were on the verge of uh, extending our uh, ventures to Baton Rouge, and you know, we'd like to go further, like in New Orleans, but you know, that's further down the road. Uh, and then this kind of came up, and then you know, threw a hurdle up, up again. You know, so uh, 
it slowed everything down, but we, we're still moving forward with it. You know, we're still, eventually we're going to get some, you know, like a, a go to the farmer's market in, in Baton Rouge over there. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe go to, to New Orleans. But uh, we, we, we're going to, we, we will set up to where we can ship, you know, uh, but right now we're not set up. So maybe take a family trip, come out, you know, and check us out. Just visit your family and get some, some good bacon and some of that good, good uh, sausage we have over here. Uh, is a fourth generation Louisiana pig farmer and founder of Timo E's Farms. Tim, thanks so much for coming on Out to Lunch. Well, appreciate the invite. And thank you for joining us for this edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana. We edited these conversations to fit into the time slot here on your NPR station. You can hear longer versions of these conversations wherever you normally get your Out to Lunch podcast. If you're not an Out to Lunch podcast subscriber, search for Out to Lunch, Out to Lunch Baton Rouge, or Out to Lunch Acadiana on your podcast app. At some point soon, we hope to be back to hosting Out to Lunch around the lunch table. For right now, Commander's Palace in New Orleans is closed, but you can have a range of ready-to-cook items shipped from Commander's Kitchen to yours anywhere nationwide. Information at goldbelly.com. In Baton Rouge, Mansur's on the Boulevard is open. You can eat at the restaurant where they now have 50% occupancy and outdoor dining or get pickup. Our Lafayette Out to Lunch restaurant, The French Press, is doing curbside takeout, and you can pick up their regular menu items or a family dinner, and you can get delivery through waiter or drive up. Out to Lunch Louisiana is a production of INO Broadcasting. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Photos from this show is on our website and social media taken by Jill LaFleur. I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. I'm Christian Mater in Lafayette. And I'm Peter Raschuti in New Orleans. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you back here next week for more Out to Lunch, Louisiana. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 